Our Father, we come again to you with great, great thanksgiving on our hearts. And first of all, Father, that we might have the privilege of thanking you for all things and knowing that you are sovereign. You are the one who holds our lives and fortunes in your hands. You're the one who, uh, as we shall see in our study today, um, manages affairs from on high. And uh, there is no one greater than thee. So, Father, I just thank you that you've made promises that apply to us personally and that apply permanently uh, and uh, eternally. Uh, and that you have granted us your love and your grace, and she, you will never take them away. And what a great thing to to uh, to contemplate. Uh, Father, there's so many things on our mind regarding our nation and pe people, uh, such turmoil developing or ongoing here in this nation, and so many things are being done in the name of, but contrary to, good and righteousness, but in the name of that. And uh, good has been called evil and evil good. And uh, of course, scripture indicated that we would see that develop. And now we have seen it develop even more than many of us here have seen it in the past. Although some of us here have seen it so much more due to war and other matters. Uh, Father, I, I just uh, just lift up uh, our president and those that serve with him, whether that's actually in office or or out of office. Uh, all those that support and uh, need to defend our liberties and our constitutional uh, rights and privileges, uh, so granted. And Father, I pray for our president that you would encourage him through victory. And uh, as time passes here quickly after the election finished, but the results of the election are undefined. So, Father, I pray that in various ways you would make clear what your choice has been and is in this matter. And, Father, I, I pray, as uh, all of us do, that our president would be declared the, the victor and as has been true in so many places in our nation that those who stood for truth and justice and the rule of law have been declared victorious in this nation in this last election and may our president be as well and also those senators father that are so critical to maintaining the control of the Congress there in Georgia. Father, I, I just pray that you'd give all those still involved in this, what seems like a battle that keeps going on and on. Uh, in fact, it is a battle. It's a battle against evil. Father, I pray that they would be strengthened, uh, given insight beyond their knowledge or ability or experience, that they would know how to proceed in this battle and that you would give them victory, Father, by your great hand of power. Father, I 
don't know how things will go because we do not find the next uh, page of history already written, unless that be our calling forth into your presence, which surely uh, is on the horizon, growing near. Father, thank you so much for encouraging us with those thoughts. And Father, there are many concerns that we have still on our hearts here concerning these present days that we're living in now. And they do sometimes overwhelm us for a time. So, Father, I pray that you'd lift our anxieties and concerns. And I pray that you would work to give uh, safety and uh, protection to those that are traveling, Father, some for very long distances, like uh, uh, Tom's grandson and uh, his father. Father, I I pray for for Rebecca, Father, one of really a number that need your healing hand. Thank you for being so merciful and kind to. And through that long period of trial there, and now she's doing so much better and brought healing there for her and, and for Robert. I pray that that would continue. I pray that you give Tom complete recovery from his eye uh, surgery and issues there. And also our dear friends uh, here who still suffer greatly, and they're in recovery too. And think about Don, for example, here. I need to have full relief from that back surgery and that back issue. And Father, there are others I've I've forgotten, but you know their needs. Um, we pray, Father, for all of us, all of us believers in these days. The days are dark, and these are the last days, of course. And uh, What's required of us is that we be bold with your truth. Only the truth will cut through the darkness. We know that, Father. And uh, I pray that we would be bold with that truth and utilize well the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the living God delivered to us. May we be effective, Father, and encouraged in our ministry and in our lives as we trust you for every every detail, and we thank you for every blessing. And there are so many. So, Father, as we open your word now, this is a great blessing. So I thank you for this opportunity, Father, in Christ's name, and amen. amen. Proper encouragement can only live and, and uh, prosper in the realm of the truth. And so if we are living in, in deception and blindness and we're encouraged, that is uh, really not uh, the encouragement of the Lord, right? Um, true encouragement lives uh, and thrives in a proper recognition of reality. And that means that not just what we see with our eyes and ears and so forth and our five senses, but what we grasp on through, uh, through God's precious word of truth. So in proper encouragement, spiritual encouragement requires the truth. That's a very important point, And many have uh, missed out on that one. Okay, well, last time we saw the uh, conclusion of what 
Paul was recommending to Timothy regarding establishing order in the churches. And the main point last time was uh, that there's a teaching uh, that Paul implied was quite common, uh, commonly being taught uh, a false teaching. And he summarized that with these words, gain is godliness. I was reading one commentator, and it was really quite uh, a challenging uh, exposition of that passage, because what he did was to try to go to the Greek and try to explain what these words, these three words really mean. Gain is godliness. And what he said was that, well, nobody in their right mind would ever say that, not even an evil person, not even a satanically motivated person would say gain is godliness is too ridiculous. Well, I think he had some good points to make, but I think he he missed the real point, which is what Timothy is teaching here. So let's uh, let's just look again at this quickly because it's foundational. It's at the basis of everything that that has uh, followed chapter three and verse 16, which is all about, as you remember well, about the mystery of godliness. And I have to read it again because I don't want us ever to forget these words. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. We could spend all of our time again on that if we so uh, chose, but uh, we'll leave it behind for now at least. But uh, but what what Paul says there is so critically important that he bases all the exhortations to Timothy upon that truth, I think, and uh, doesn't state it as a special doctrine, this that we should separate from those that do not promote true godliness, but it is implied uh, certainly throughout the whole letter, right? Timothy is supposed to separate from them and is supposed to declare them to be heretics, in fact, if they do not properly promote the doctrines that are according to this true godliness okay and i think the reason why today so many are substituting a false even a satanic unity for the for for this godliness um, they're substituting uh, a false unity for the true unity and rejecting the whole concept of separation uh, in the biblical sense of the term And the reason they are doing it is that they actually reject the mystery of godliness and the teaching concerning it. And that's the reason why the proper view on separation is not understood today. 
So, in fact, through religious systems and other things, many are, in fact, promoting that gain is godliness um, and not that godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, so what does he say? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says uh, in 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment let us be therewith content and then he goes on and finally ends up saying the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows there is a teaching here. It's directly stated, but we might just miss it altogether if we're not really careful. And so I want to mention it now, because we might have missed it uh, as we've looked at these verses before. And that's that all of these things right now that might be considered so valuable, which he calls riches, right? And then he explains in some detail concerning food raiment and so forth, right? Uh, they may soon be gone. And in fact, when Paul's writing to Timothy, and this is one of the last letters he writes, First Timothy precedes second, the second letter to Timothy and, and also precedes Titus by a little space of time, or maybe it's contemporary with the letter to Titus. But these pastoral epistles are written in a time of uh, change. And uh, there were still those within the assembly who were rich. And uh, some had uh, left their first love, you might say, and turned over to worldly things and uh, had bought into the idea that uh, gain is godliness. So there definitely were some that were rich. How long would this continue? Not long after this, Paul is martyred. Not long after that, probably within two years, Timothy is martyred. And in fact, the church is largely uh, the subject of the wrath of the Roman Empire for hundreds of years. How many Christians still had the riches of this world then, right? And so Paul is, is saying something really profound here that uh, don't <clears throat> hold on too closely to these things. Not only will it lead to spiritual destruction, it will lead you to <clears throat> uh, many other uh, issues in life that no one should uh, desire to be consumed by. I mean, really, um, <clears throat> if things are changing that rapidly and that dramatically, we better focus on that which is eternal, right? <clears throat> or we'll be consumed with everything, everyone else. <clears throat> so that's the teaching there. Now, this teaching about godliness, as I've said so many times now, is fundamental to the whole letter. And so what does that refer to? Well, the mystery of godliness and the doctrine that's according to godliness uh, 
is all about what God is doing today under grace. And we made a list of some of those things last time. I'm not going to review that now. But it's not, nothing about religion, right? <laughs> no, this is about the work of God in the heart, in the heart. And uh, if the churches today would focus on that, would focus on what God is doing and what God wants to do in and through us instead of what we think we must do for God, in other words, to exemplify grace and uh, works, then uh, things would be very different. I believe our nation would be very different if, in fact, uh, that were the focus. So we're reaching now the end of the letter. Uh, Paul is now making at the end here in this chapter six, some very sober exhortations to Timothy, his son in the faith. And his exhortations reach a crescendo here in these last few words. The power of them is great. And Timothy surely realized he was warned very well. Uh, reading the end of this letter for what was ahead for Timothy was really going to be the fight of his life. And that's where we start today. We get to uh, verses 11 through 19 today. And next time, I hope, finish up the last two verses in First Timothy. Okay, our outline is this. There are three never forgets, first of all. Remember, this is to Timothy, but many things here apply to us as well. Never forget, firstly, that the Lord and only the Lord rules now and forever. Only the Lord rules. Okay, never forget that, Timothy. Secondly, never forget that Christ is the Lord of glory. <laughs> never forget who he really is. Yes, he's ruling, and he's glorious indeed, and there's so much that could be written about it. Much, though, we don't yet have any vision of or understanding because we have not seen him. Christ had revealed himself to Paul, however, so Paul is able to write things that we ourselves wouldn't have experience of yet. Someday, yes, but not now. But by faith, we take it that Christ is the Lord of glory. Thirdly, never forget that the rich in this world have very special responsibilities. <laughs> okay, the rich in this world have very special responsibilities. It's strange that Paul is going to end the letter with such a strong focus on the rich, isn't it? You might wonder why that is. And he doesn't give a full explanation of it. It was supposed to be obvious, I think. Okay. And then the final thing, what Paul's final words to Timothy are, and those final words are, guard that which was committed to thy trust. Guard that which was committed to thy trust. Okay, first of all, then, never forget the Lord and only the Lord rules now and forever okay linda i'd like you to read for us those two verses there first timothy chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 and as we go through this please realize all of this as application at least to us today and our circumstances linda but thou O man of god 
flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Okay, thank you, Linda. Okay, fight the good fight of faith. We, last time we talked about what that means. I don't know if I mentioned it. I probably did, but uh, let me mention it again so you don't ever forget. The Greek word, the root of the Greek word translated fight here, it's very interesting. You know this word in English. If you just said, take the Greek letters, put them into English letters, you actually have the word agonize. <laughs> because the noun, that's the verb, but the noun is agon, okay? That's the Greek word for a um, place of conflict in the, it could be, you know, in, in war, right? But but usually it was in reference to sporting events. So wrestling uh, or other sporting events were, were done in a certain place. That place was called the Agan, okay? It was the forum for the conflict where it would take place. Uh, I grew up in Southern Oregon and uh, on Friday nights we went to, uh, Either the auction, which was kind of a public uh, entertainment thing for us children. They had a lot of good popcorn there, for one thing. Um, although we brought our own. <clears throat> um, but on alternate Friday nights, we might even go. Sometimes we went to the wrestling match, and that was done in the Agon, in the form of conflict. Okay? So to be participants there, you would agonize, okay, that's the Greek word here, you'd be fighting the fight. He says, fight the good fight of faith. How many times has he mentioned the word fight? Three times, that's uh, meant to make a very, very strong point of the teaching there. There are some fights that are good, and there are many fights that are not good. Paul says, fight the good fight. And what is that fight all about? Well, it's heavenly in its nature, though it may seem very, very earthly. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, in the heavenlies, okay? So we may be involved in conflict here, but really things are being orchestrated from above, not only by the evil ones who control from the heavenlies, meaning fallen angels, right? But also the Lord God operates in that realm and his chosen, his elect angels as well, right? And they are observing, Paul calls them elect angels. And he says to Timothy, they're watching they're watching, Timothy. Take note of that. Okay, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, so right at the end of Paul's letter, just before his life is taken away from him by Nero, um, he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And these, I think, are the, well, what, the strongest 
statement of Paul's ultimate life and testimony, really, the strongest statement and the most powerful one. Uh, he writes there, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness and not to me only, but also unto all them that love his appearing. Right? So this has broad extent. It, it, it goes out to all of us that actually do love his appearing. Right? Makes a big difference to love his appearing. But what he says here is that he has kept something. He doesn't say, I, I keep believing, I've kept faith. He says, I've kept the faith. That means that he's guarded and protected and proclaimed the faith until the end. The faith refers to the body of doctrine that had been given to him, deposited with him, put in trust with him, right? And of course, Paul is going to finish the letter with a comment on that. We'll get to here shortly, okay? So keeping keeping the faith in this context is all about continuing to grasp onto the crown jewels of the faith, honoring them and protecting them always and properly sharing them with all those the Lord brings in contact with us, okay? Big question then for us is, have we kept the faith? It's an open question for you and for me. He goes on and he says to Timothy, you must lay hold on eternal life. We've talked about that a bit before. He says, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. called. This speaks of a personal attachment to what's eternal. And... Uh, it really is a direct reference to the resurrected life of Christ that we already possess, which is deposited in us, which is operational, but there's no end to it. It's, it's eternal in the sense that it's really a foreshadowing of that which will be completed when we're caught up into heaven's glory. And then that which we will dwell fully in, fully in, all the blessings of for all eternity, right? Perfect fellowship with the Lord God, with his son, with the spirit, with other believers. Um, that's the perfect life of Christ that we will someday enjoy. Right now we have a foreshadowing of that. But are we grasping onto it? Do you want more of it? Is that the point here? He says, lay a hold on it. Just don't let it go. Let it be your foundation in life, okay? So let's continue on. Uh, there's another two verses here in this section that I'd like Lisa to read. Lisa, would you please read 1 Timothy 6, verses 13 and 14? Yes. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before... Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, 
unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, very good, Lisa. Thank you so much. Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that uh, in the context here, Paul has good reason to think that the time is growing short, shorter day by day, and it wouldn't be that long till his life was snuffed out. And Timothy is being really sent forth to carry Paul's mantle, as it were, okay? Timothy would be wearing Paul's mantle. Think about that. If you're mentor in the faith, if, if the apostle of the Gentiles is martyred in Rome, how will you go on? How will you continue the ministry? Will you be defeated or will you be encouraged to carry Paul's mantle and to be yourself that example for others? We saw earlier in the letter how Paul had exhorted Timothy to be that example. In fact, to be a type, the Greek word type is used, tupos, to be a type for believers, as Paul had been, right? So Paul is saying to Timothy, there's nothing more important than this. You have to keep this commandment until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. Okay, uh, now he references the Lord who, it says here, witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Hmm. I'm not going to go back to all those verses. Uh, there are four or five of them where uh, you can read all about the, the, um, the good confession that the Lord had when Pontius Pilate was interrogating him, right? You know, you remember when he said, oh, you'd have no power over me if the Lord God didn't give it. Because he says, well, are you really king? Are you the king of the Jews? He says, for this purpose, I've come into this world. But, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So, yes, he is king, but his kingdom is not of this world, right? Um, a good confession requires one to speak truth and not to dodge the questions, to be direct and to be clear in what one says. You don't need a lot of words for that. Jesus himself didn't have a lot of words, but he did speak truth. And... Uh, that's what it says, that they'll keep this commandment. So be like the Lord was there before Pontius Pilate. Keep the commandment. This commandment is to continue until the appearing of the Lord, right? Without spot, unrebukable. So without any uh, efficiencies at all, Timothy is exhorted to carry on. Okay. To fight this good faith. Now, he adds here something. Uh, just a few words there, but there's so much content to that. Who God, and he says, in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. Hmm. I think the implication is that our, our lives in, are, are in the hollow of his hand. Okay? Uh, he's the one who holds the string. 
right? He can pull it at any point, and he may. We do not know, right? But until he does, he is the sustainer of life, right? And uh, there's, there are these amazing uh, passages throughout Scripture about this. And I'd like Patty to read one of them there in Deuteronomy chapter 32. For, this is from the great Song of Moses, the Song of Moses, so-called Deuteronomy 32. Verses 1 through 4, and then verse 39. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Okay, well, <clears throat> that's the statement that we should keep in mind. Paul had it well in mind, and when he preached, he shared this truth often. And remember him uh, on Mars Hill in the great city of Athens, preaching preaching to people who were caught up in every kind of philosophy and religion you can imagine. And this is what he said. As part of what he preached that day, he said, neither is worshipped, meaning God, the true God, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. So <laughs> the one who is, as he has said there, quickening all things, meaning making alive all things, he is the one in charge of our affairs, of all of our affairs. And so uh, it is. Now, um, Paul, I had that in mind. Uh, and uh, while he lived, he was looking for something, and you know what he was looking for. And this is what Timothy is being exhorted to look for, too. And Paul wrote the same to Titus in his letter to Titus in chapter 2, verse 13. He said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So... In these final letters, these pastoral letters, there's a lot of focus there on looking ahead. Looking ahead, yes, the times are dark. They may seem to be overwhelmingly dark to us occasionally, maybe often. But the light does shine, and the promises have been made, and our hope is truly in the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is called here, interestingly, the great God. Hmm, interesting, huh? Okay, let's go on to the second thing here quickly. Christ is the Lord of glory. 
don't ever forget it. Christ is the Lord of glory. Uh, Anne, would you read for us from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16? Which in his times he shall, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Thank you. It says something's going to be revealed that's never been seen before, right? Uh, not by any man, meaning any man in this, this uh, worldly frame. They'll have to be caught up into heaven's glory. Uh, and uh, change totally in order to see this. Uh, and what is it that will sometime be seen, yet future, but perhaps near, right? Um, it says, our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show that he is in fact this, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, which no man has seen nor can see. Okay, so in his time, so he controls the timing of this. We have no influence on that. Okay, he controls the timing of this, and ultimately it will be accomplished, right? The only ones who will see him as he truly is are those to whom he reveals himself, right? All, I think, though, will see him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know that from other scriptures, okay? So the one who has been raised from the dead never to die again, that's what it means, who only hath immortality, raised from the dead never to die again, Another favorite topping, topic of the Apostle Paul, right? Uh, that's the one who will be revealed in due time. And he's the one ruling today. We just don't see him ruling, right? And Paul doesn't want Timothy ever to forget that. The Lord is still ruling the affairs of men. And I'd like, uh, Gail, if you'd read for us uh, three verses there uh, out of First Corinthians 15 regarding the resurrection glory that's yet ahead for all of us when we shall share fully in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Those are precious words, death swallowed up in victory. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, right? But some will be caught up alive into heaven's glory, right? Uh, and we will see him who right now no man can see, right? 
Uh, the one who dwells in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen or can see. And then he adds, to whom be honor and power everlasting. What can you say to that except amen, amen. These are words of encouragement for today for all of us. This is where we stand, right? With the horizon bright. We had the most beautiful sunsets two nights in a row here. Uh, and uh, the horizon was bright with it, right? But uh, spiritually speaking, our horizon is even brighter than that. Brighter than that could ever be. I hope we're encouraged by these words. I hope we're encouraged the way I'm pretty sure Timothy was. Think about all those times Timothy reread this letter and got to these last verses. Huh? The third and final point that we should never forget, that Paul didn't want Timothy to forget and we shouldn't forget, is that the rich in this world have very special responsibilities. Uh, Ed, please read those verses for us. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold Okay, very good. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for reading that. And uh, that Paul comes near the end of this letter with those words about the rich. As I said before, it, it's quite interesting to consider why such a focus on the rich. Because in our human nature, we fall into certain patterns of thinking and action, right? that focus in on what he earlier called gain, okay? Or the preservation of what's been gained, not realizing that these can soon be gone. Uh, notice that he says, nor trust in uncertain riches, right? So what Paul is recommending is that we trust rather in what? In the living God. <laughs> who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, a little note of personal history here. I've mentioned this at least once before, maybe twice to all of you. I don't mention it much uh, because it's a little too hard to, for me to communicate what's so personally uh, been uh, transforming in my life. But when I was... Uh, a teenager living in California, I had two close friends. Both were believers, and we didn't know of others, except maybe for parents, okay? We didn't know of others, so he spoke to many. There were a few weeks there when we were very, very bold for the Lord, and uh, um, many things happened just after that to shut down our ministries, for the most part, the work of the enemy. But 
our one friend was what I would call poor. So poor that he invited me one evening to come and share the evening meal with him and his family. And so I was happy to, you know, visit his home, sit down with them around the dinner table, offer thanks to the Lord, and begin to enjoy the evening meal with my friend, right, and his family. What was served? Boiled beans and a glass of water. That was all they had. And he was not embarrassed. He was rejoicing in the Lord to have his dear friend with him to share. To share what? To share what the Lord had provided, right? He says, trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And it wasn't that many weeks later when he was with the Lord, having been murdered by evil young men in our community. I wasn't there when it happened. We had immediately left town and moved away, moved to the, another state. But I received in the mail from our other dear friend a picture of him with that epitaph, as it were. Then. So Paul says, laying up in store. Well, our dear friend, he laid up in store for himself a good foundation against the time to come and laid hold on eternal life. I'll never forget Gary, a special person. Well, let's finish with a question today. Are we taking Paul's teaching here to heart? Our nation is in hard times. I mean, really, challenges are on every side, not only in our government, but in just, you know, health-wise. There are so many, right? Um, are we taking Paul's teaching to heart? Um, those that would destroy our nation and probably us as well are uh, you know, raising their heads everywhere, right? Even in the highest level of government. All in the name of fairness, equality, and so words that no longer have meaning. So we must have a cry of testimony that focuses on the word of grace and on the doctrine that's according to godliness. That must reflect always the word of the scripture, but also and I want to add this. I feel like I must add it. I'll dare to add it. The final words of that great document upon which our nation was founded, the Declaration of Independence, the final words are these. <clears throat> and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. 
May the Lord bless us in our nation and keep us. And amen. Amen. Are there any any comments before we go to the Lord in prayer today? Jim, I've got something. Yes, Tom. Uh, I've listened for a couple of weeks, and I want to again venture into this world of possible prosperity gospel. Mm, yes. I have to admit, I was attracted to the Lord because of the promise given to me by W3SON that I could have the best of both worlds. <laughs> you see? Um, okay. It comes dangerously close to <laughs> yeah. prosperity gospel. It does come dangerously close. Maybe it goes over the edge a little. Nevertheless, it did a good work in me anyway. Well, it brought you, did it, I guess, what you've said before to me, it brought you in under the sound of the hearing of the truth, right? Uh, but, yes, well, we need to be careful. I, I think that because the uh, the borderline is, is uh, not so clearly seen by... Some of us or all of us, well, for all of us, part of the time, we don't see the borderline between the two clearly, right? And uh, certainly it's always a challenge. So, Tom, thanks for bringing that up. Yes, to understand where the border is is most important, right? But I think Paul gives good things, so it shouldn't be any longer an issue for us. Um, the health and wealth gospel is heresy. But that doesn't mean God doesn't. What does he say here? These are the words, right? I have to read it again. Um, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. In other words, all that we have that's good, we should enjoy and be thankful not because we work so hard or we're so smart or whatever, but because the Lord blessed us with these things. And he can surely take them away, right? Ah, that's what nobody wants to hear. <laughs> well, we all want to hear it uh, when we're in a spiritual state of mind. Praise God. Any other comments this morning? Well, let's pray. Father God, I thank you and praise you for the word that's been set before us this morning and uh, what a blessing it is to take it to heart. So, Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts, open our hearts, take away any remaining blindness. May we uh, welcome this teaching. And may we grasp onto it fully, Father, that we might uh, fight the good fight of faith and hold fast the doctrine which is according to godliness. And Father, we would thank you in dark days, never forgetting, I hope and pray, that we are the lights in the darkness. And we would thank you in Christ's name and, and, and. <laughs>